Peter 3, 8 through 18. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 18. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name's Eric as well. And I'm also one of the pastors here at Trinity. Before we get into the message this morning, I just want to echo and second one of the announcements uh, that Pastor E.C. just gave to us. And that has to do with our kids' ministry. This past week, our elders and our pastors met, and we met with our kids' director, Christy Sosa. We had a good time um, with her praying and hearing about the status of our kids' ministry But one thing that we were talking about, there's been a number of teachers who have had to transition out of our our classrooms, and we have uh, five classrooms. We have our incredible nursery staff back there that many of you know. But at the moment, we have six regular volunteers for those five uh, classes. And as we were were talking about that, we said, well, what do you need? What is the goal? We said... We think we need like 30, so we have a ways to go. And there's a larger conversation about how we want to get there and why we want to get there. But um, let me just say for now, would you consider and would you pray about joining that team? As Eric said, talk to, talk to him as he's overseeing our family ministries and uh, talk, talk to Christy about that. All right, having said that, let's move into the message. This fall, we are looking at the letter of 1 Peter. This letter is all about hope. It's all about hope for those who are suffering and struggling. Throughout this letter, as we've seen, Peter says, the things that seem like to us, the things that feel like to us, that they could only be a path of suffering. Peter says, in fact, those are the road 
to glory. He calls it glory. What, what only looks like a cross to us, Peter says, is in fact the gateway into resurrection life. He says, look to Jesus. This was true for him. And he says, this is true for all of those who follow Jesus. There's hope in suffering. He says God is at work. He's leading us into true joy. He's leading us into genuine holiness and into faithful witness. Throughout the letter, Peter says this pattern, it actually, this is the pattern that applies to all the various trials that we face in life, all the things that are hard for us. He says that in chapter 1, verse 6. He mentions later on the internal struggles we have, like the war of the soul that we often or sometimes feel like we are facing, the hard circumstances that we face in life, and even our difficult relationships. But there's one area in particular that Peter focuses on, and that is the focus of this passage that we just read together. Much of the the suffering and the struggle that these Christians were facing, whom Peter is writing to, came from being misunderstood, came from being slandered. It came from being called evil and being mistreated. Let's look at, um, if you have your Bible, you can look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I'll put it up on the slide. This is kind of the topic uh, sentence over all the section that we've been looking at the last few weeks. There we go. Peter said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles or strangers to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That's the internal war. He says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what was happening? Why did Peter have to write this? What was happening, we learned from this text, is people were saying to these Christians who were new in their faith, they were saying, you, Christians, and your religion are bad. (laughs) They're bad for our society. You bring harm to our culture. You don't belong. So if somebody says that to us for whatever reason, that hurts. (laughs) That hurts. That's hard for us to hear. For these Christians and for my Christian friends here who believe that Jesus is the source of all human flourishing, that He is the one hope that we have in all of our suffering in this world, that hurts. That's surprising. And sometimes we get offended by that. So what should we do? What did Peter tell them to do? Well, this week was Halloween. I don't know how many dressed up for Halloween, but if this week, especially on Thursday, if you saw someone in your office complex or in a school, wherever you happen to be, and say they were in like a full squirrel costume. I saw that. Somebody had that on in our office complex. Or, you know, somebody's wearing a green wig or dressed like a zombie. You're like, makes sense. It's Halloween. People are dressing up. Okay. But if this week or the week after, you go to work, you go to school, and somebody is wearing a squirrel costume or is wearing a green wig and has makeup on like a zombie, you're going to go, wow, that is strange. What is happening with that person? This is kind of different. 
I share that because Peter's making this point over and over again. To be a faithful follower of Jesus is to be strange. You begin to look like, believe like, and act like Jesus. The New Testament often says to be a Christian, it means we put on Christ. It's like we put on the costume of Jesus. So this means you're going to look different. You're going to believe different. You're going to act different than those around you in the culture who don't follow Jesus, who don't believe in him. And sometimes it's going to be very, very different. For us today, there may have been a time in the United States and our culture when Christian belief was considered normal, expected. But in an increasingly post-Christian and modern world, to be a Christian means we're going to be more and more strange. So public perception of Christians goes something like this, and we could fill in this list with all kinds of things. What do you think of, if we talk to our modern, um, our modern culture, those who don't believe and embrace Jesus, what do you think of Christians? Often we get something like this. Christians are judgmental, hate-filled, too political, extreme, narrow-minded, not intelligent really, and definitely not fun. Not good for the world. Not good. The Christians in Peter's time, we know this from early sources, Christians in Peter's time were accused of things like incest because of the way they treated each other like family. They were, they were accused of incest. They were called atheists because they didn't embrace all the gods of the day. They were accused of practicing cannibalism. These are all real things that people thought because of this meal that Christians celebrated where they say we're eating the body and the blood of Christ. They said, you guys are mostly poor. You can't have God's blessing. You're made up of the dregs of society. You're a religion of losers. You are not good for our culture. You don't bring good to our world. So the question is, how should Christians respond when this is the way that they are perceived? When this is the way that Jesus is perceived by their culture. This is what Peter is addressing here. In this question, Peter answers, or in this, in this text, Peter answers this question. How should Christians navigate this difficult issue of how to live in a culture that believes differently and acts differently than we do and really does not welcome our faith? Look at verse 8. He says, finally. He's summing it all up. He's saying this applies to all of you who are followers of Jesus, no matter your station of life. The one thing you are called to do that will show people who Jesus is, no matter what they say about you, no matter what they do to you, there's one thing that you're called to do. It's in verse 9. He says, give blessing. Give blessing. You were called for this so that you might inherit a blessing. The message paraphrase version of the Bible says this, bless, that's your job, to bless. So this is very practical. It's a very practical answer for us who are followers of Jesus when it comes to the question, how does a Christian, how does a church relate to the world? Peter says, bless. Now, for those of you who are following along with, with the outline that I have in the bulletin, I'm tweaking it a little bit. This is the outline that we're going to follow. 
First, I'm adding a point. What does it mean to bless? It's up on the screen. Then we're flipping the next two. Who are we to bless? That's the second one. Why should we bless? Why don't we bless? And how we learn to bless. What does it mean? Who are we to do it to? Why should we do it? Why don't we do it? And lastly, how do we learn to do it? First, what does it mean when Peter says give blessing? It's kind of a watered-down word a little bit in our culture. If you're from the South, like I am, there's a phrase in the South that's often used that's like this, bless your heart. Go bless your heart. That's just kind of a nice thing to say. Sometimes it's kind of like just dismissing you, like, oh, bless your heart, just go away kind of thing. We say bless you when people sneeze, or we just kind of say I'm blessed as a general way to say things are going well in my life. Now, that captures some of what blessing is, but blessing in the Bible is so rich. It's such an important word. And I want to give you a definition, and we'll see how this plays out as we look at this text. To bless, there it is on the screen, is to see good in, to speak good into, and to do good to another. Through our words, our actions, our gifts, we bless. The Bible begins with blessing, Genesis 1. Over and over again, it says, God saw, He saw something, He said it was good. He spoke His blessing over His creation, and He gave animals, He gave people, and even the seventh day, it says in Genesis 2, He blessed these things and gave them something of His own goodness. So to bless others is to give them a taste, a glimpse of the very goodness of God and to empower people to experience life as God intended and created it to be experienced. So that's our job, Peter says. That's our job in the culture. Who are we to do this to? Who are we to bless? Well, with one, in one respect, we are to bless everyone. Everyone. In Genesis 12, where God initiates his plan of redemption by calling Abram, it says he blessed him. He spoke good over him. He did good to him. He promised good to him. He said, Abram, Genesis 12, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the plan. Genesis 12 gives us the plan that's going to unfold in all the pages of Scripture. The plan is that everyone who experiences God's blessing will be a blessing in turn to others until this blessing overflows into all the peoples of the earth. So who are we to bless? Everyone, no exceptions, Peter says the plan hasn't changed. You were called for this. You get to inherit this blessing, so give blessing to all. But Peter gets more specific, a little bit more specific than that. And the way he does this fits how the rest of the New Testament calls Christians to bless others. Those whom we're called to bless almost always in the New Testament are those who do not believe what we believe those who are hostile to the faith or someone who's wronged us in some way. Romans 12, 14, the Apostle Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In our call to confession, 
from this morning, Luke 6. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Peter here in verse 9 picks up on that. Same thing. He says, give blessing, not paying back evil for evil, insult for insult. On the contrary, when you're wronged or insulted, bless. Now, it's easier. It's more natural for us to bless people when they bless us, right? Who treat us kindly, who speak nice words to us, who think like us, who agree with us and do good to us. It's easier for us to say, I see good in you. I can speak good things back to you and do good in turn to you. But Peter says, here is what makes a Christian the most strange. Like you're wearing the squirrel costume. It's who they bless. It's who they bless. He says in verse 9, this is on the contrary. This is what it means for Christians to be a contrast society. It's who we bless. Why should we bless? There are two reasons here that Peter gives us why we should bless. First, he says, because it's the counterintuitive way to the good life. In verse 10, Peter quotes from Psalm 34. He's quoting from this psalm to further define what it looks like to give blessing and to give us a reason why we should bless other people. So in verse 10 through 12, Peter's quoting from Psalm 34. It's a psalm of David. This is a psalm that David wrote when he was a stranger. He was out of the land of Israel, away from his people. And in verse 10, what does it say? Who wants to love life? Who wants to see good days? <laughs> Who wants the good life? And it's like, uh, I do. I want the good life. I want to love life and see good days. Everyone does. And so it goes on. It says, here's how. Live this life of blessing. With your words, bless others. It says, with your tongue, with your lips, speak good into others without deceit. And he says in verse 11, look at verse 11. With what you do, do what is good and seek peace. Seek shalom. Seek harmony with all. This kind of life is the good life because, verse 12 tells us, it's the life that enjoys the personal presence and attention of God. It talks about God's eyes and ears. You know, when you're talking to someone, having a conversation with someone, and their eyes never meet your eyes, they don't ever have eye contact with you, then you feel like they're not, they're not paying attention to me. What are you looking at? I'm right here. There's also a way when you're talking to someone and their eyes are locked in on your eyes, but you know that they're not even looking at you. And their ears are listening to something else. Their eyes are on you, but their ears are listening. Peter says in verse 12 that this is the greatest blessing of all. The one who gives blessing gets God's personal attention. Because God, His business is to bless. You are in sync with God and you have His attention. Now what's counterintuitive for us as we live in 
what we could call a very hyper-individualized, consumeristic society, is that there is this inseparable connection between experiencing blessing and giving blessing. We want to love life, yes. We want to live the good life, but we, we want it for ourselves. We want to get it. We want God to pour out blessing on us and say, see good in me, God. Speak good to me. Give me good things. But like a pond that has no outlets or no streams coming from it, we become stagnant and unhealthy if all we say is give to me without giving to others. We want the personal presence of God. We want His blessing for us. We want to feel good. We want to feel peace. That is a good thing. But Peter says it's not the highest good. It's not the highest goal for a Christian. It's not the measure of maturity and spiritual greatness. It's those who give blessing. A few voices to reinforce this point from church history. John Chrysostom and St. Teresa of Avila. Listen to how they describe Christian maturity. Chrysostom said, No act of virtue can be great if it is not followed by advantage for others. So no matter how much time you spend fasting, very spiritual thing, no matter how much time you sleep on a hard floor, in his day, I guess that was a spiritual thing, not something I want to do, or eat ashes or sigh continually. If you do no good to others, you do nothing great. St. Teresa said, when one reaches the highest degree of human maturity, one has only one question left. How can I be helpful? This is the counterintuitive way to the good life. It's why we are to bless. But there's a second reason Peter gives here, and it's one many of you have heard from this text, verses 14 and 15 especially. But let's look at verse 13 first. Peter says there that most people, if you live this life of blessing, those who disagree with you, those who are your enemies, if you live that, most people will be disarmed by that kind of life, by a people who are so devoted to good, who are zealous to bless others. Whether people are opposed to Christianity or skeptical about Jesus, or they just observe the way that Christians are treating other people who oppose them and wronging them, Peter says in verse 13, there'll be something attractive about people who give this life of blessing. And it will decrease unnecessary offense and suffering, right? He says, who's going to harm you if you're just out to bless other people? It will decrease some of your suffering. But, verse 14, even when you suffer for righteousness, you're still blessed. Jesus attracted some he offended others. He died praying for the forgiveness of his enemies. He was blessing them even as he died, but was still rejected. That is countercultural, that you can be blessed and suffer at the same time. You can suffer and you can bless those who are causing your suffering. But not only will a life of blessing, Peter says, prevent unnecessary offense and suffering in your life, he says in verse 15, this is the part maybe you're familiar with, it will provoke questions. Look at verse 15. He says, set in your hearts, regard Jesus 
the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He says, be ready to give a defense. But what are you defending? What is the defense for? The answer is for your your life of blessing. Why are you giving this blessing? Defend that. That's what provokes the question in the first place. People will say, why aren't you retaliating? Why aren't you just responding? How is it that you're giving a blessing? Why are you doing that? And then you get to say, well, it's because I have an inheritance and an identity in Jesus. That's my hope. He's everything to me. Peter says, this is what we might think of as as natural evangelism. When we set apart Christ as Lord, meaning we live with Jesus as our Lord, He's Lord over my life, He's Lord over my money and my body, my sexuality, over my relationships and my time, and you just live like that and live it out in public, you just be yourself and be ready, people might ask you about that. One author says, Peter's calling us to live in such a way that demands a Jesus explanation. It's the only explanation for why you're acting like that, why you're blessing like that. Now, it's important to note here when we're talking about this that Peter isn't saying give blessing in order to convert people as a method of evangelism. He's just saying bless You've been blessed, so simply bless. There's a story that um, is told. Actually, it was a story of somebody's doctoral thesis that they did. They did a study on two groups of missionaries who were in Thailand. They called one the blessers and one the converters. The blessers went in to this new country and said, we're just going to bless. I'm going to find ways to speak good, to do good into others' lives. And the other one said, we're here to convert. And so the study said, well, what were the results of that? Not only were the blessers more successful in doing more social good, this study, this research found that they had 50 times more opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus. It's a counterintuitive, a countercultural way to witness. What is blessing? Who are we to bless? why we should bless, but why don't we do it? Why don't we bless like this? Why is it so hard? Why does it feel like it's humanly impossible to us, so unnatural for us to love and bless and pray for people who are against us and people who wrong us? Now, this is hard. It's hard even for us to do in our own families, is it not? When our spouses wrong us, Kids, when our parents wrong us, when we feel parents like our kids are in the wrong, let alone other people who are outside of our family, we don't have blood connection with. Clearly, these Christians were struggling hard with this, which is why Peter needed to write this whole section to them. Now, Peter helps us go deeper into why we don't bless like this. He helps us get into the root. He addresses our two default responses that we turn to when we're wronged, when we're insulted or mistreated. These are the two default responses. He says we either repay 
or we just retreat. Verse 9, Peter says, not paying back. Don't pay back when you're mistreated. Don't repay. When someone cuts you off on the road, right, we cut them off or do something worse. When someone undermines us at work, we look for ways to make them look bad. A sharp word is spoken to us. We speak a sharp word back. Someone pulls back from us and we say, all right, I don't need you in my life. I'm going to pull back from you as well. Someone insults our faith, ridicules Christianity, and we insult them back. So the cycle goes on and on and in repeat. Peter says there's a way to end this cycle, and a Christian knows what it is. There's a Croatian author, theologian. His name is Miroslav Volf. He's written an amazing article on this called Soft Difference. I want to share one of the things he says in that article. He says, when blessing replaces rage and revenge, the one who suffers violence refuses to retaliate in kind and chooses to encounter violence with an embrace. With an embrace. Now, what is he saying here? Is he saying, the world is going to change through hugs, right? (laughs) Things are bad out there. Things are hard. Just go hug someone. I think he's saying something much more deeper than that, but this is the image he gives to us. He says, often when we're mistreated and, and wronged, In any way, we get into a posture like this, right? Defense. Fight back. Get ready to repay. He says, no. It's like this. And here, when we're in this position, we can see why we don't want to be in this position. Because we're vulnerable. We can get hurt. And we're afraid of harm. So our anger and our attack protects us. Peter says, this is a part of what makes a Christian so strange. They don't repay. Our other default response when we are wronged is to retreat, to pull back. Peter addresses this in verse 14. He says, do not fear, do not be intimidated, but in your hearts, verse 15, regard Christ as Lord, as holy. Be ready at any time to give a defense. Peter says, don't retreat. Give a defense. Be ready. But it's intimidating to be told what you believe is wrong, what you believe is harmful for society, what you believe and how you're living is not welcome here. It doesn't belong, so it's easier to lay low. And Peter says, though, a Christian cannot retreat. A Christian cannot hide their difference and choose to fit in or withdraw from culture. A Christian is called to be themselves publicly. It's a form of lying. It's a form of deceit to not be true to your core commitment to Jesus. So he says, be yourself. Set apart Jesus as Lord in all of your life, private and public. Have integrity. Be yourself. But here's the thing. Digging deeper in, the reason we retreat is the same reason that we repay. We're afraid. And Peter digs deeper there. Why are we afraid? He quotes in verse 14 from Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8, 12 says, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord Almighty as holy. 
Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. So what's, what's he saying? He's saying when we fear something more than we fear God, someone or something else is set apart in our hearts as our Lord. Think about it. When we fear what people will think of us, when we fear losing our comfort, if we're afraid of not being in control, if we fear losing power, if one of these is threatened, our greatest fear is losing it, we have to protect it. We have to fight or we have to run with it and hide in retreat. In that moment when we're afraid of those things, those things become our Lord. They're what are most holy to us. They're the things we most worship and serve. These are the things we say on which I put my hope. But in order to bless, this is the connection to blessing. Peter says you have to have a hope within you that nothing can take away. You have to have a hope within you that no one can get to, no matter what they say about you, no matter what they do to you. Then, and only then, will you be fearless to bless, to bless others, no matter what they say or do. Peter says that's the living hope of the gospel, that you have an identity and an inheritance that nothing can get to in Jesus. This is how we learn to bless. In our hearts, we regard Christ the Lord as holy. What that means is he is the one thing that if I lose, I lose all hope. Nothing else, but if I lose him, I have no hope. He is most holy to me, most precious. And if I have him, I have a hope that nothing can touch. But when we forget, when we regard other things as more holy, Peter says, verse 18, remember the blessing we have been given and remember how you got this blessing. God did not repay me for all the wrong that I've done to him. God did not retreat back from me when I ran from him. Instead, he came to us in Christ to pay for our wrongs by suffering in our place. Verse 18, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You see how we get the blessing? Even more than, than David did, in Psalm 34, Jesus lived Psalm 34. He lived the truly good life. He kept his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He always spoke the truth. He turned away from evil. Jesus was always seeing good, speaking good into other people's lives, doing good for everyone, indiscriminately for all. That was his whole life, his whole ministry. He sought peace and shalom with all that he was. He lived this life of blessing. But when Jesus was at his moment of greatest need, when he was crying out to his father, his father turned his eyes from him. His father's ears were closed 
to his prayer. The face of the Lord, whose blessing he enjoyed from all eternity, his smiling face, his voice of goodness, that father was against him, as if he had done all the evil that we have done. He was cursed. Why? To give us the blessing, to bring us to God. This is the gospel. Though we are not good, though we are unrighteous, though we have chosen and deserve cursing, we get the blessing. In Christ, God sees us as only good, righteous in Christ. In Christ, God only speaks to us good, always, into you and over you. In Christ, God works all things, does all things for your good. That is the blessing that you have been given in Christ. If this is true, if the Lord Almighty, God over all things, says this to us, then we can have a hope that no one can take from us, that nothing can take from us. Even if someone were to kill us, they would only drive us further into the experience of this blessing forever and ever. Peter says, you have that. You've been given that. That is your hope, the hope within you. From there, give it to others. Can I share a few final thoughts on how this looks like and plays out in practice? Just, just a few things that I wanted to share here. First, we learn this by learning and relearning the gospel. Two practical thoughts to close. We, we need to learn this in community. Going all the way back to the first verse here in verse 8, if you look at that, we can't learn to bless on our own. We learn within a family of blessing and belonging. Look at verse 8. All of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. In a world where there's so much cursing, so much fighting, so much repaying, retreating, and discouragement and fear, the church, this community is called to be a community of blessing and belonging so we can learn how to give blessing to others when it's hard. Uh, recently, someone shared something with me. It became the latest Twitter internet war amongst Christians and probably a lot of other people were looking in. Uh, what it was was a recording of a conference where one Christian leader was asked to comment on another Christian leader. You already know this is not going to turn out well, unfortunately. This leader insulted and demeaned and spoke evil of the other Christian leader. And while this person did this, in the recording, the audience is laughing and clapping. The issue aside, if you know what I'm talking about, issue aside, doesn't matter. The point I want to make is this. Verse 8. Peter says, be like-minded. Truth matters, yes. So does sympathy and love like family and compassion and humility. Look at that. Four traits of gentleness, blessing, and connection. One for truth. Why do you think Peter has that imbalance? I think it's because of this. If we aren't gentle with each other, 
If we aren't gentle with each other to bless, how can we bless the world? When they mistreat us, speak ill of us, and think we are bad for them. Gentleness and respect. Verse 16, Peter says, if you're going to speak and open your mouth, you always have to do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, a very overlooked trait, necessary to live a life of blessing. It's how Jesus came. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a requirement of an elder, requirement of a pastor. It's a requirement for all of our disagreements. When anybody needs correction, it's inextricable from wisdom. James says this, without it, you're a fool. <laughs> Peter says, here is something you have to have. Whenever you talk about Jesus to Christians or to non-Christians, gentleness. When the truth of Christ is affirmed in arrogance, it is denied. Edmund Clowney said that. We need to learn this in commu community. We need to be gentle with one another. And lastly, this is what I'm going to close with. We need to learn this by practicing it. Giving blessing, if you look at the beginning uh, of our bulletin in the front cover, this is our first gospel rhythm as a church, to give blessing as we have been blessed. Now, it would be the worst application for me to say, so go out and do blessing to all people. That's, a, that's just too general. St. Augustine said, you cannot do good to all, so, spay, uh, to, so pay special attention to those who, by the accidents of time, place circumstances, who are brought in closer connection to you. To say do good to all is really to say do good to none. Too general. Who are we to bless? Those whom God has put closest to us in our lives, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family. Don't repay. Don't retreat. Can I give you an assignment? Can I give you an assignment this week? I don't often give assignments, but just do this. This week, can you bless the living daylights out of your spouse if you're married? Bless the living daylights out of your parents, kids. Bless the living daylights out of your kids, parents, and pray. Lord, the people you have brought close to me how can I bless them? How can I see the good in them, speak good into them, and do good into them in order they might know something more of your goodness freely given to me in Christ? Would you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of blessing, that you did not give up on your heart of blessing for us, that you're so determined to bless us no matter what we do, no matter what we've done, no matter what we think, no matter what we said about you, you're so, you're so determined to bless us that you sent your only son to bear the curse so that all that's left for us is your blessing. Help us believe that that's true. Help that to be our only hope in order that we might overcome our fear and give blessing to other people. Make us people of blessing, we pray. Make us a church that knows how to bless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.